0: So hello my friends and welcome to the podcast. This is episode 38 and today we're going to be talking about the enduring love of God. Yes, that's right. We're going to take one of the popular psalms and unpack this psalm, take a look at it, think about it, discuss it, talk about it and see how the, the divine intention of God's nature is to demonstrate and show his love to each of us. So let's make a start by reading the psalm. That's probably the best way to go. So this is Psalm 107. It's the start of book five as the psalms are broken down and uh, it covers 43 verses. So it's quite a psalm to read, but uh, let's sit back and enjoy this reading of Psalm 107 and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about it together. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander wander in a trackless waste but he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I think it's appropriate that we call this episode the enduring love of God because it is this Unfailing, enduring love of God that the writer of the psalmist appeals to. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, he starts, and his love endures forever. There is this framing sentence right at the beginning of this particular psalm that puts everything that is to follow into its proper place and perspective. And I think this is important and it matters because when we come to think, contemplate, approach God, we need to have a clear understanding of the nature and the type of God that we are actually approaching. And so the writer leaves us in no doubt that God is good and his love endures forever and even when we wander or or stray or try and make our way on the sea through the ships that we find ourselves in, that even when we go our own way, there is something about God's love that remains constant and consistent. There is, of course, a response that comes out of this psalm that these people make. We read of it four times in the passage, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And what is the response that God comes and saves them from their distress? Because God takes us from distress to peace. He brings a place of steadiness and hope and goodness into our hearts. Someone once coined the statement and said there is nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make him love you less. I wonder what you think about that statement. How does that phrase sit with you? How does it speak into your life and your situation? Indeed, does it even mean anything to you? I guess if you've been questioning faith or you're a follower of Christ, you would consider yourself to be a person, a faith, a, a believer, then for sure this statement is going to mean something to you. Maybe if you're in that place of looking into, exploring, delving into those deeper questions of of life and meaning and purpose and what it might all mean and where it might all lead, then equally a statement like this has value and importance because If it's true, then it changes significantly the way that we view ourselves and the way that we understand and relate to God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make him love you less. But how do we enter into that? Well, even to get to the place of putting validity in, in the statement, we have, of course, made several assumptions to get into that place. We're quite deep here because the assumptions that we are making are, well, very important. We're saying, for example, assumption one, well, God exists. Otherwise, the statement has no value at all. If there is no God, then why would we even raise the question? Why would we even offer the notion that there is a God who loves us? So we're saying that God exists. The second assumption that we're making is that God expresses his intention. If the phrase is true and captures what, in essence, is the message of the Scriptures, then equally we're saying that his intention, intention is expressed to us in such a statement, and that his intention is embodied in this deep understanding that he loves you and loves me. God is love. The third assumption that we're making here is that God is actually upfront and personal, that we're not talking about a creator that is removed from his creation, but rather one who is engaged in and with his creation. Now, of course, thinking of the person of Christ, the embodiment of God taken in the flesh of Jesus teaches and shows us that God indeed is upfront and personal. He comes and visits his own creation. He walks amongst us. He demonstrates his own love to us in Jesus coming to be a sacrifice for humankind in order that we might be liberated from our own sinfulness, from the power of death as it's framed in the context of resurrection and new life and how he comes of course to conquer the ruling powers of evil as shown in the embodiment of that figure in the Old and New Testament, Satan or the devil. John, when he's writing one of his letters towards the end of the New Testament says, it is for this reason that the Son of God has been made manifest, that is to destroy the works of the evil one. And so God is upfront and personal, and he's upfront and personal in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So we make these three assumptions as we start with the Psalm and go, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. The psalm becomes a storytelling of how this enduring love manifests itself among his people. Written as it is with four distinctive strobes, they speak to us of how people wandered away, how they did their own thing, how they got themselves into difficulty, challenges, trouble, hardship, but then cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them from their distress. And it ends with an exhortation at the end of each strobe, each four-point section, that we should give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Not just his love, but this love which is enduring, which is unfailing. The psalmist continues with his writings by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, that those who he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south, which is sort of the writer's way of saying to us that God reaches out to all people everywhere in every situation, north, south, east and west, we're all included in God's compass. His reach extends to you and to me likewise. Now, some have said that the Psalms best understood as capturing the time and history of God's people as they returned from their captivity in Babylon. They'd been there for a period of 70 years. This had been prophesied by Jeremiah in his great prophecy. And after that period of time, they're released and allowed to go back into their own land. And some people say that this psalm was written out of the context of those people leaving their captivity and that the various aspects of the psalm as they break down tell us of something of the experiences that they undertook. That may well be the truth, or it's certainly one way that we could look at it. Other commentators say, well, no, the psalm has got a much broader perspective than that, because what the psalm does is it reaches down into the whole of human experience, regardless of the timing or the dating of the psalm. So they would say that, while well, the psalm is not really historical in the way it that we've just explained it but that rather it describes various incidents of human life. It tells of the perils which befall us, of the goodness of God in delivering us and calls upon all who have experienced his care and protection to gratefully acknowledge them. It's general in its character. It reaches out into all situations and to all generations. Which, of course, allows you and me to place ourselves inside the psalm. So, when we read some aspects of it that some wandered in the desert wastelands, well, we can read that metaphorically, can't we? We can read it in a different way than just literally people who wandered in the desert because... We've all found ourselves wandering at times. We've all found ourselves in barren, difficult, dry, unsustainable situations where we've needed help and rescue and deliverance. And so immediately we find that the psalm has a relevance to you and to me here in 2020. It's not just something that spoke to people as it was written all those millennia ago. The psalm is as relevant for the here and now as it was for them and then. The psalm also seems to be intended for use by pilgrims who have just come to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals. It starts with that declaration that the redeemed of the Lord should tell their story. The story of how God has acted, intervened, how he has been a present help in times of trouble, a constant companion, a guide through the navigation of the difficulties and the challenges of life, however they come to us. And of course, we all have those experiences, all in different ways at different times and different seasons. But we've all known what it is to wander in deserts. And this is where the psalmist continues as he pens this particular sort of uh, reflection on the life of God's people. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. That unrestlessness within the heart of constantly journeying, but without a true understanding of any destination in mind can allow us to feel unsettled and not at ease with ourselves or indeed the world it leaves us feeling hungry and thirsty as if as the psalmist says our lives are ebbing away always reaching out always trying to grasp always trying to hold on to something as but finding that somehow it just simply slips through our fingers and what we read as literal for God's people at that time well We read as pictorial, allegorical, metaphorical for us today. The desert still drains us. The city of promise still eludes us. We can still feel unsettled in our hearts, hungry and thirsty. We put a quote on our Facebook that said this. Sometimes we have to let go of what we thought life would be like and learn to find joy in the story that we're living I wonder whether a lot of our restlessness comes because we're trying to achieve something that maybe is or indeed isn't attainable, and that all of our effort and our energy is put into that desire, that ultimate goal, which either seems to elude us or indeed when we find it, when we attain it, doesn't deliver the level of fulfillment that we dreamed and expected that it would. Maybe are wondering, maybe our life finds a new level of rhythm and peace and momentum when we recognize that, well, the joy that we're looking for is to be found in the journey and not simply in the destination. In any case, the people, they come and they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and God delivers them from their distress. And that's what we need we need God's visitation, we need his presence, we need the hope that he can bring, we need the abiding life of God through the empowering of his Holy Spirit in our hearts to accompany us, to travel with us, so that we know that we're not lost, but actually we're found. Found maybe in the journey, working towards a destination, but found nevertheless. And it's in that sense of being found that joy is discovered and indeed retained. Some sat in darkness, he goes on, in utter darkness. He wants to qualify the statement as if to say (laughs) the darkness itself is not enough. What we're talking about here is utter darkness, the complete absence of light, that dark place where our souls can journey to where our minds can end up where our hearts can be placed prisoners he says suffering in iron chains as if we've been shackled as if we've been bound as if we're unable to escape the darkness in which we find ourselves of course the route to that darkness can come in all sorts of ways it can come through illness It can come through a lack of good mental strength. It can come because we feel emotionally, psychologically challenged. It can, and you know, it's important that we say and recognize this, come from our own stupidity. It can come because, well, we put ourselves into difficult and challenging positions that we ought not to have done. And because of that, we're paying a price for the decisions that we've made. Well, the price is gonna have to be paid. But God is the God who accompanies us in those situations when we come and we cry out to him. And maybe you find yourself in that very dark place. And maybe it's a dark place not of your own making. Maybe it's been made for you or by others. Maybe you are there because you're struggling with illness, whether that's physical or mental or psychological. But that place of illness brings you into that world of darkness and there seems to be no escaping from that the whole weight of scripture leans towards god in god's intention for the liberation of humankind for sure wherever we're working towards liberation lifting the bondages of oppression bringing people into the freedom that christ desires for them we know that we're working on the lord's side that we're doing god's true business This is the message of the gospel it is the good news. And what God intends for others, of course, he intends for you. God wants to bring light and love and hope into your heart and into mine. And it may be a journey to get to that place. And it may be making those good decisions, those positive, even if they're just small little steps along the way that help us to get to that place. All that, of course, may need to be done in the context of support from friends and family, from the advice of medical people and our GPs. All of these things are an important part of our own health and well-being. But we need to be assured and understand that whatever the situation we find ourselves in, that God is with us. He brings them out of darkness, it says, the utter darkness, and he breaks away their chains. And may God break away chains in your life and in my life as we step into evermore the freedom and the light and the love that God intends for us. The story of the Exodus, the freedom from Babylon, the ultimate liberation afforded to each of us because of Jesus' death and resurrection is where the story of the Bible is at. This is what Paul had to say when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labour and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. God brings his salvation, his light, his life, his love, his hope into all of our hearts And how do we become the recipients of that? Well, we cry out to the Lord in the midst of our trouble and he comes and he saves us from our distress. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. The third group of people that the psalmist refers to comes in verse 17 where it says some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities they loathed all food and drew near the gates of death you can sort of imagine the pointing finger and the juicy gossip flowing around this group of people we all like to think of ourselves better than others it's those others who are the fools the ignorant ones the ones who are lesser than we And so the pointing finger comes into play when you get to this third category and group of people because the some who become fools are of course everyone and everybody else but me. That of course is not the way that Jesus sees it. When he was writing or when he was speaking his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 3 3 through five, we read, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, indeed, yes. Let's put a mirror up to the motivation and attitudes of our own heart. Let judgment begin in the context of our own life and existence. Let us remove the speck out of our own eye before we even give thought to removing the plank out of somebody else's eye or rather removing the plank out of our own eye before we look to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. But again, the psalm is weighted towards the love of God. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and he rescued them from the game, from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord, he says, for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. God is not in the habit of giving up on us, not in the habit of giving up on you or on me. God loves us. He cares for us. And even when we're foolish, rebellious, when we've strayed, His love reaches out to you and to me to bring us back to himself. The fourth group of people that the writer clearly refers to is these people who go out on ships in the sea. Some went out on the sea in ships. Uh, They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, No doubt you've experienced that yourself if you've had the opportunity of getting out on the sea, of sailing on the ocean, whether that's just close to the coast on one of those little boats that you can get on when you go to the seaside, or whether you've been fortunate enough to go out on one of those big cruise ships or a ferry maybe that's taking you to a different uh, country or area. Um, There is no doubt, is there, that when you look at the ocean, you see the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds, in the deep. The mystery and the wonder of God speaks to us through his creation. We're left in no doubt as to there is a plan and a purpose behind all of this. This is what the Bible wants to make clear to you and to me. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril their courage melted away don't whether you've ever been in one of those situations when you've been out on the, on the water and all of a sudden the weather has turned and very quickly those waves that were nice and calm turn into something which is stronger, a bit more fearful, uh, more aggressive looking and uh, you can imagine that if you were just out in a fragile wooden vessel which these people would have been in those days out there on the ocean and one of those storms really whipped up you can imagine the level of fear that you must have experienced as this ship goes up to the heavens one minute and then down into the depths the next up to the heavens and down into the depths and you're going up and down and forwards and backwards and sideways in their their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and they were at their wits end because they were left to the peril of the sea. And again, outside of the wonder and mystery and beauty and majesty that there is in the ocean, once it turns, my, my, the fear and the terror that that brings into your heart, and into your life. It was in their peril that their courage melted away. And Maybe you found yourself in a situation in life like that where the fear and the terror has been so palpable that any courage that you had, you just feel that it's been completely lost, that it has ebbed away. In ancient Eastern culture, and indeed in the Old Testament, the sea was associated with chaos and darkness. It's no wonder then that the psalmist would write about it in this particular way to give us that understanding of how life can be chaotic, confusing, fearful, dreadful. And there we are, out on a ship making our way through the world. To discover that we're being tossed around like a little dinghy in the ocean and the overriding emotion that we feel is one of fear and panic and worry. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he says, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. God is in the business of speaking calm into the storms of our lives. God is in the business of not abandoning us in the midst of those situations. Oh yeah, we may not have all the answers. In fact, we may have more questions than we'd ever get answers for. But that doesn't mean that we can't sense God with us. His presence amongst us his reality here. It doesn't mean that we can't draw on the recognition and the truth that Christ stepped in and experienced this broken world with us. God manifests himself amongst us and he understands and knows and recognizes our pain, our fear and our worry and he can speak peace and he can speak calm into the storm. And so this psalm comes to remind us that God loves us, comes to remind us that however we may find ourselves wandering, lonely, isolated, that He is but one cry away, one heartfelt cry away. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distress. And maybe that's where your cry, my cry needs to be today. That cry to God that he would come to us. The psalm finishes in this way. It finishes by saying, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. I trust that we'll all take a little bit of time to ponder this psalm, Psalm 107, to think about what's been written here and how it's been written, to consider how it's been presented down through the generations, in order that we might find that sense of comfort and peace and strength through it. That's my prayer for you today as you listen to this. It's the prayer I pray for my own heart. May we each be wise May we heed these things and may we ponder the loving deeds of the Lord because he is the heavenly father of each as we call upon his name and he comes to bring his peace and love, that enduring love of God, into your heart and into mine. It's a wonderful psalm is Psalm 107. I trust that it'll bring you joy, peace, and courage as you ponder and think upon it. Well, this has been episode 38 of the podcast, The Enduring Love of God. And so, until next time, I trust that grace and peace will be with you.